together. Acts 1, starting in verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas the son of James. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women, and Mary the mother of Jesus and his brothers. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You can be seated. If you're new to Trace Crossing, our typical practice through our preaching ministry is to preach verse by verse through books of the Bible. We also typically choose which books to preach based on testament and genre. So last semester we were in the Old Testament. Um, we preached through the first 11 chapters of Genesis and we took a break from that. And so when we were thinking about what we were going to preach next, we needed to switch. We wanted to give the New Testament to you, and, and we chose the book of Acts, and I'll explain why in a minute. But our desire in preaching this way is to give you the whole counsel of God. Uh, we obviously want you to hear from the Lord, but we also know that as elders and pastors, we are sinners. We are uh, weak, and we are uh, subject to temptation in the flesh, and it would be really easy for us to just preach passages or books of the Bible that we're comfortable with or familiar with, and there's just, I mean, if, you're, if you've ever read the Bible, I don't know if you've ever read the Bible, but if you've ever read it, there's a lot of stuff in there that just is a little uncomfortable, and if we were choosing passages to preach on our own, we might be tempted to leave those out, so our approach protects us from that. Our approach um, enables us to give you the whole counsel of God, so that's, that's why we take it that way. But this semester, uh, this, this spring, basically uh, until Easter, we're going to be walking through the first seven chapters of the book of Acts. And we're doing that because after last year, and all of our typical church ministries were so interrupted and so disrupted, and they're still disrupted. We, we're not meeting for life groups. Um, our, our worship gatherings are, are different, as, as we all know. Um, this year, Lord willing, 
we will start to shift back. When we start shifting back, what I want to make sure every single person here is aware of is that what we're shifting back to is actually a biblical model for the church. Are our ministries biblical? Are our, our, what we're emphasizing, what we're, what we're doing together, is it, is it what the Lord actually expects of us as a church, or have we just fallen into traditionalism like so many other churches have? Uh, this, this little disruption has actually provided us a, an opportunity to reflect on how we are using our time, our resources, and our ministries. Are we doing what the church was meant to do? When you think of the church, what images come to mind? So, you know, if, if we played like a word association game and I said church, what would be another word that would come to mind for you? So, maybe family, um, maybe home. Uh, um, I, I don't know. I know when I was a kid, when I was a kid, and kid, I don't know how many of you children can relate to this, but when I thought about church, I immediately thought about school. Like, because it just felt so similar to me. You know, we would go to Sunday school, and I had a teacher. So I had a teacher. I had not a desk, really, but we all sat around a table. And uh, I had to raise my hand to go to the bathroom, you know, um, just like school. Um, in, in the service, I got in trouble, just like at school, you know. I mean, so, like, that was, that was kind of the, the relation that I had to church was I just thought of it like, like school. What, what's, you know, for you, what, what is the image of church that comes to mind? Maybe whenever you think of church, you just think of circus. You're like, no, it's just crazy, just crazy town never had a good experience and it's just crazy town right now um i I don't know um but i I think for most of us if we haven't visited the the book of acts in a while our idea of what church is or images that come to mind might differ from what the earliest christians would have said when they heard the word church that's because the church at its birth and we're going to look at the birth of the church really in chapters one and two of acts at its birth The church was essentially a movement, a movement. A lot of people throughout the history of the church called it the Jesus movement, this this movement where you had a new religion that just was born overnight and spread like wildfire all over the known world. The church was a movement that was built around a specific conviction, and it was the conviction that Jesus of Nazareth died and rose from the dead. It really doesn't get much more complicated than that. The church was born as a movement around, built on, this central idea that Jesus died and rose from the dead, that he is now the the risen and reigning and rightful Lord of heaven and earth with all authority over everyone. And all people are commanded to repent and come to him and turn to him by faith. When we actually turn to the pages of the New Testament and we get into a lot of Paul's writings, the, the word church, and I don't really talk a lot about Greek here. If you want to know more about Greek, just go see Avery after. Avery likes Greek a lot more than I do. Um, but, or maybe James. James, do you like Greek? Yeah, James loves Greek. So if you want to talk about Greek, go to James. I'm not, I just, it's, it's I like, I'm struggling with English. I'm from Eastern Kentucky. Um, so, uh, but, but the Greek word for church that we translate as church is ekklesia. Ekklesia, it's, it's a word that literally means an assembly, an assembly or a gathering of people around a specific idea. That's how it was used. Now, over the years, um, people have begun to think of church as something different than that, a gathering, a movement, 
that started thinking of church as a place. And I don't want to minimize the place, because the place matters. The, the place is, is sacred, not because the building itself is sacred, but the place is sacred because of what happens uh, when, when God's people gather in this space. So it, it matters. And if we're going to assemble, we need a place to assemble. And even people who don't have buildings and they just meet out in the open, wherever they meet, it's, it's important. They choose it for a reason. They, they choose the most convenient, whatever it is. So the place matters, but the church is not primarily a place where religious services happen. Um, people have, have tended to think of church in this way. Uh, we, we also think of church as, you know, maybe a people, not a place. But when we think of it, we think of a static people. All right, here's, here's what that means. We think of church and we think of ministries. And there may be a lot of stuff happening, but it's all happening, you know, the cliche within these four walls. Um, a lot of the ministry happens through Bible studies that happen here or Sunday morning worship. And again, all of these things, very important, crucial. We do them and we, we value them. Uh, and then there are other people when they think of church, they only think of service. Like we're no different than, you know, the Red Cross or the Salvation Army. And we just provide services to people who are in need. The church is so much more than that. In the book of Acts, the church is an assembly that is built around a movement. Now, here's the danger. The danger that every single church faces and that our church faces in 2021. And, I, and I'm, this isn't, I, I really believe this. The danger is that we cease to be a movement and become a static ministry. We cease to move. We, we stop taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. That's the danger. We get comfortable with, with regular ministry. We get comfortable with showing up on Sundays. We get, we get comfortable with life group ministries or even serving in a particular way. And we just, we get comfortable. And, and we don't see anyone from our city who doesn't currently know Jesus come to know Jesus. And you see it in churches all the time, year after year after year. No baptisms, no baptisms, no baptisms, nobody coming to faith. Now, here's what, here's what we, you know, Reformed-ish Baptist people would say, right? We would say, well, the Lord is sovereign over that. So we don't, you know, the Lord will bring to faith who he brings to faith. And we, you know, we don't, uh, we're not worried about it. We have a problem, if that's how we're thinking of it. If we think that the Lord is just going to bring people to faith and we don't have any role in it, we have a problem. I'm not saying we should start using baptism statistics as a sign of health. What I am saying is there's a danger that we're facing and it's the danger of remaining static and stagnant and not moving. Because the early church was a movement. It was a movement. Here's the question that's facing us today. Are we as a church just going to keep doing ministry or are we going to be a part of this Jesus movement for, for us individually is the church when you think of the church whatever image came to mind is it is it more a place you attend or is it a movement that you're a part of is it a family to which you belong is it a body of which you yourself are a member we're going to be considering a lot of this throughout our journey through Acts. This morning, what I want us to do is to help us begin to function as a church the way the church was meant to function. And the way I want us to do that is by considering three realities about the church in Acts 1, 1 through 14. 
Reality number one, the church's purpose. Reality number two, the church's mission. Reality number three, the church's power. So we're going to consider those three realities, the church's purpose, mission, and power. First, the church's purpose. So I don't know how long you guys have been in church. Um, I, I guess my mom brought me to the nursery, you know. Uh, some of you have, have stories like that. You just grew up in church your whole, lo- whole life. Maybe you're newer to church. Maybe, you know, you haven't been a member of a church that long. Um, but have you ever actually wondered why the church even exists in the first place? Have you ever wondered that? Like, you know you're a part of it. I, I haven't ever wondered that, if I'm honest with you. I've just taken it for granted. It, it, you know, the Lord created it. That's why it exists, and that was good enough for me. But have you ever thought about it? Why? Why did the Lord create it? What's, what's, the, what's the purpose of the church at all? Because can you imagine the shock on the disciples' faces? I'm sure they felt shocked, even though they probably should have known because Jesus had told them before that he was going to leave, that he was going to ascend, that he was going to send the Spirit, and it would be better for, him, for them if he left and sent the Spirit. So he, they had already heard this. But can you imagine? They received this message in verse In verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the end of the earth. And then they turn around and Jesus is gone. Gone. Have you ever just wondered for a minute, why didn't Jesus just stay? You know? And, And lead this mission, lead this movement on earth. As a king, that's, that's essentially what the disciples are asking in verse 6. They come together, and you know, the whole time throughout the Gospels, throughout the Gospels, they're wondering, hey, is it now, are you the Messiah? Are you going to restore Israel? Are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Is Israel going to become the power once again? Are we going to overthrow the Romans? Are we going to establish an earthly kingdom where you're going to sit on David's throne, and we're going to judge the nations, and, and you know, the end will come? And, you know, no, 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 it it wasn't working out that way. Well, now here, after Jesus died and rose from the dead, they're surely thinking, well, my goodness, surely now, surely now, after you have been risen from the dead, the kingdom of Israel will be restored. And I've wondered that. Why didn't Jesus just stay? Instead, he, he ascends into heaven. He gives his disciples a mission we're going to talk about in a few minutes. He gives the the mission, and then he ascends, and he leaves, and he's gone. Here's why that's interesting. Jump back to the first verse of of Acts. Luke writes this. Luke, by the way, is the author of Acts. He also wrote the Gospel of Luke. And we read here in verse 1, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Um, Let's stop right there. First of all, don't worry about Theophilus. Don't worry about it. Just don't. We, you know, lots of debate on who he is, uh, what his purpose is, why Luke addresses him. Not going to get into it. What I want you to focus on is first book, in the first book. So when Luke says in the first book, what he's referring to is his gospel, the gospel of Luke. If you backed up two books in, in our Bibles, then you would find the gospel of Luke. You would find the first book. The book of Acts is the second book. It's the sequel. It's part two, volume two, to this, to this, vol, to this uh, work that Luke is presenting to us. And I want you to notice what he says about the first book. The first book, his gospel, he says, is where he dealt with all that Jesus began to do. And Luke's trying to give us a clue here. He's giving us a hint about what Acts is going to be like, about what the sequel is going to be like, part two. And he's telling us if Luke, book one, 
was about what Jesus began to do. Acts, book two, is all about what Jesus continues to do. Okay, so that's the clue. That's the hint. But obviously, we've already seen the problem with that. In the book of Luke, Jesus is, is he's from the first page to the last page. He, is, he makes an appearance on every single page of the gospel of Luke. So whenever it says, my gospel is about what Jesus did, it makes total sense to us because he's on every page. You get to the book of Acts, I got one of those Bibles that has the red letters of Jesus, you know, and got one of those holy, holy Bibles, you know what I'm talking about? Not just the holy Bible, a holy, holy Bible. Um, so you see the red letters here in chapter one, and then he's going to make an appearance to Paul a little bit later. But other than that, Jesus is nowhere to be found in the book of Acts, and yet Luke is telling us from the very beginning the entire book is about what Jesus continues to do. How is that possible? Here's how. Jesus continues to work through the church. Jesus continues to work through the church. What's our purpose? What's, what's our purpose? We exist as a church to show the world that Jesus is real. I don't know if you've ever thought about that in that way, from that, from that perspective. We exist as a church. Our purpose is to continue the work of Jesus and thereby putting Jesus on full display. People in our city who do not know Jesus will never see him face to face until the end when he returns, just like you and I. We won't see him face to face. How will they encounter Jesus? Through the church. How will they experience the work of Jesus, the continued work of Jesus? Through the church. If Acts is about the continued work of Jesus, then the church is God's imperfect vehicle for advancing the work of Jesus to the ends of the earth. We learn very early in Acts that the church is God's plan A, plan A for accomplishing his mission. And there are no contingency plans. Jesus shows up and he makes himself known through the existence of local churches like ours. The mere fact that this church exists and that churches all over our city exist is evidence that Jesus is alive. Now, at different times, we paint better and worse pictures of who Jesus is, and we'll get to that in a second. But the basic idea here is that we exist to show that Jesus is real. We exist to show, demonstrate him, manifest him. Now, a natural question is, how do we do that? How does that work? How does the church show that Jesus is real? Well, it works in two ways. First, it works out through our doctrine, what we believe together. So as we, as we gather together as a church, we share a confession, a, a, a set of beliefs that, that unite us as, as a faith family. And so our doctrine uh, shows that Jesus is real. Um, so the doctrine of the church has to demonstrate the reality of Jesus, or else it is dead and useless. So that means that our doctrine has to be rooted in Scripture. It means that our doctrine has to be consistent with what the church throughout the ages has confessed. When you think about the church which began with these apostles that we're reading about here, they had the privilege to develop their theology with their eyes and with their own ears. Because they lived with Jesus. They saw him die. They saw him rise from the dead. They heard his teachings. They heard this commission with their own ears from the mouth of Jesus himself. They believed that Jesus died for their sins, and they believed that Jesus was raised from the dead because they saw it happen. 
and then they are tasked with spreading this news. But these beliefs are crucial to demonstrating the real Jesus. If we are off in our beliefs about Jesus, then we are going to present a phony version of him to the world, and therefore we will be abdicating our responsibility to show Jesus to the world. So as we continue to confess and believe in the risen and reigning Jesus, as we teach what he taught and what the early church taught about him, we manifest Jesus in our city. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. When you're talking with someone and you tell them something, you're teaching them something about who Jesus is, you are showing the real flesh and blood Jesus to them. And it's what we're called to do. So we manifest Jesus through our doctrine, but we also do it through our culture. And this, this is where it's a little bit more visible. How we live together as a church matters. The culture of our church paints a picture of what we value most. If we value our preferences most, then the culture of our church is going to reflect that. Because we will be fighting and we will be frustrated. If, if we value being right more than anything else, then we won't, we won't deal with one another well whenever we disagree. If we value Jesus most, we can hold all of our preferences, all of our opinions, everything that is not central loosely, and unite around Jesus. And when we do that, we will become a culture of love. We will become a culture of grace. We will become a culture of mercy. We will, we will become a people who serve one another, give our lives away for one another. And when we do that, we will display the person and work of Jesus through our conduct, through our interactions, our, our involvement with one another, we are called to witness to Jesus. And so a big question for us is, what would someone from our community think or know about Jesus simply by observing our interactions together? What would they think about Jesus? You worship Jesus and they see how you interact together. Is it reflective of who Jesus is? It matters. Our purpose is to demonstrate Jesus to this world. But, but Jesus gives a very clear mission here too. So we have the church's purpose. We exist to demonstrate Jesus to the world. But the church's mission is even clearer. You see, in verse 6, the disciples have this question, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? You know what they're asking here? What do we do next? What do we do? Because if they don't know anything else, they know something massive has just happened. If a guy who's claiming to be the Messiah and Savior of the world dies on a cross, and three days later he rises from the dead, and ten days after that you are having a fish dinner with that guy across from your table, and then he randomly like disappears through a wall, you know something, something's happening. You, know? you may not be the sharpest tool in the shed, but you know something big is at hand. Okay? And so then they're, at, they're curious what what's next you know are we going to establish a kingdom because if you're leading the way we think we can do anything and then he says no you don't understand you don't understand my kingdom is not of this world one day heaven and earth will meet right now is not the time so so no don't worry about that here's what you need to worry about this is such an important word for us of all the things that we could focus on, of all the things that other churches focus on, of all the things that our church has focused on in the past, are we focusing on what Jesus has clearly commissioned us to? Look at verse 8. He tells these disciples, 
You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Our mission is not to make sure a specific vision for the United States of America comes to fruition, one way or another. That's, that's not our mission. It, it's not dependent on it. Do you know who had the most authority in the world, the greatest power in the world when Jesus spoke this? The Romans. Do they anymore? No. Has the mission changed? No. Has the gospel advanced? Yes. And it will continue to. No matter who holds power, our responsibility, we're not, we're not responsible for any of that. We trust the Lord with all of that stuff. We act according to our conscience, and we trust the Lord with, all, with everything that's happening. This is what we're held accountable to. This is what we're responsible for. Our mission, and it's a simple one, y'all, is to spread the news that Jesus died and was raised from the dead and is now reigning as king of the universe. That's our mission, to spread the gospel. We learned two things here. I hope this helps. You know what the first one is? It gets at the core of our identity. Being a missionary is not just some calling that some people, you know, receive from the Lord. Taking the gospel to those who have yet to believe is a core part of every single Christian's identity. All right? Jesus isn't suggesting that you tell other people about your faith. As it, you know, it'd be a good thing to share your faith. No. Jesus is commanding. Jesus is saying, part of your new identity, you are a new creation in me, and part of that identity is that you are sent. If you're a child and you have trusted in Jesus, you are sent. If, if you have been a believer for 50 years, you are still sent by Jesus. And if, if you are still wrestling with what it means to, to be a believer, this is all new to you. You are sent by Jesus into the world with the gospel. We are called to be witnesses, and don't overthink it. What does a witness do? You know, a witness doesn't do anything. A witness just says what happened. You know, I think of, I think of our boys at home. Our youngest loves to be a witness. He loves it. Can I get a witness? You know, it's like our youngest loves it. The other two will be fighting or whatever. He want, he's the witness, you know. He comes in and tells mama, tells daddy what happened. You know, I mean, it doesn't have the best motive so that the other two can get in trouble. But still, you know, the point is that he's not doing anything. He's just coming and telling us what happened. That's all we're called to do. Jesus has he's done it all. It is finished. Jesus paid it all, we sing, okay? It's all done. We are called to witness to that. Look what Jesus has done. The church spread across the whole world simply because the church moved with this message. Moved. The greatest danger we face is that we won't move. That we'll stay still. We'll grow stagnant. People come to know Jesus and his saving work primarily and maybe only through the testimony of the church. As one pastor said, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Okay, so we are sent. But one more reality that, that should pump you up. I mean, this should energize you to no end. The kingdom of God is wide open. 
Do you see what Jesus says here? The disciples are so concerned about Israel, and it makes sense. Like, you know, that's just, that was their worldview. They were so concerned. Is the kingdom going to be restored to Israel? And do you see what Jesus does? Look what he says in verse 8. When the Spirit comes upon you, you're going to be my witnesses where? Where will you be my witness? Not just in Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, in Judea, even in dreaded Samaria, and, and even the places you don't even know exist yet. You are going to be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. Do you know what that's saying to us? Every single person is a candidate for the gospel. Every single person is a candidate for salvation. If you are a sinner in need of salvation, then Jesus has come for you. And as the church, we offer Jesus indiscriminately to all because the kingdom of God is wide open. We witness to everyone about what Jesus has done. He is a universal king worthy of global praise. So we support missionaries all over the world, but even in our own city, we cannot have the mindset that we don't want certain kinds of people in our church because Jesus has busted those barriers down. He's opened the doors and he says, if you come to me, I will give you rest and it's anyone who comes to him. This is our mission, to take the gospel to those who have yet to believe it. And I know you live in the Bible Belt. I know we live in the Bible Belt. And I know it's easy to think, well, they're like, I'm going to pass 500 churches before I get to my house. You know, we're the church on the hill next to the church on the hill next to the church on the hill, you know, like just right across the street, two churches. It's easy to think. Everybody already believes in Jesus. They don't. They don't. You are sent. You are sent. Now, that's... That's cool, but it's also daunting, all right? So we need to consider one last thing. The church's power. The church's power. So church's purpose is to, to manifest Jesus, to show Jesus through our doctrine and through our culture. The church's mission is to take the news of the gospel and spread it. Finally, how the heck are we going to do that? What's, what's the power that we need and that we have? Um, this mission that's, that's given to these disciples, it could not have been bigger. I mean, once again, once again, the suggestion that they have is that the kingdom of Israel will be restored. In their minds, they're thinking local, you know, which will end up extending global, and Jesus will be present to do it all. Instead, Jesus says, hey, cool, cool, like you guys don't know what you're talking about, don't worry about that. Um, here's what's actually going to happen. You are going to be my witnesses all over the world all over the world and then they're like wow i mean i just imagine them wow man that's okay okay let me try to wrap my head around that let me think about that for a second what's that mean? hey jesus gone ascends into heaven and this group y'all these disciples we honor them now they were not the most qualified bunch of guys okay they 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 were more than inadequate they, they were not highly educated. They were not gifted communicators. They were not the best writers. They didn't have influence. They didn't have status. They didn't have money. How on earth is this ragtag group going to complete such a seemingly impossible task? And maybe you feel the same way. Maybe you're like, you know, I haven't thought about this in a while, but you're right. I, I am responsible for taking the gospel to those who've yet to believe, but I don't think I can do that. I don't know how to do that. I don't know what I would say in a conversation. 
I don't even know what to do. I'm, I'm overwhelmed by it. I can't do this. And if you feel inadequate to reach someone with the gospel, you are absolutely right. You're inadequate. I think about our church often when it comes to reaching Tupelo with the gospel. And I'm like, man, there are so many large churches doing so many wonderful things in our city. You know, what, what could we possibly contribute? What could we possibly do? How would we even do it? Where do we even start? When we think about, you know, reaching people who are, are sick of traditional, you know, cultural Christianity, and they've given up on the church, how do we reach them? Who are they? Where are they in our city? And I think about all of that, and I'm, I'm left, and I'm like, I don't know what to do. It's daunting. And I'm inadequate, and as a church, we're inadequate. But there's an important word here from Jesus that might transform how we think about mission this year. Jump, jump up to verse 4. While staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. Wait. The mission of the church, as we've seen, is not something that we do it's something that Jesus does in and through us. The growth of the church in Acts is the continued work of Jesus, not the clever work of the apostles. How does that, how does that happen, though? The apostles had to wait for the Spirit to come before they could go. They had to have the Spirit. We cannot fulfill our created purpose as a church on our own. We need the Spirit. And good news, by the way, the Spirit comes in Acts chapter 2. The Spirit comes. We have the Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit indwelling us. The Spirit leads us. We are called to follow Him. We are called to depend on Him. So, a big question for us. Are we willing to break the status quo of Bible Belt church going? Are we willing? Here's what I mean by that. The status quo of Bible Belt church going is that you go to church on Sunday... And listen, you guys know I send enough emails about it. Like, I believe what happens on Sunday to be probably one of the most important things that happens all week long. But you go to church on Sunday, and you worship, and you, and you learn, and maybe you grow, and I guarantee the Lord will use it to shape you into the image of his son. But then you go home, and you're done, and you're on to the other part of your life. And you kind of segment your life into, into secular and sacred. And... That's the status quo of Bible Belt church going. And so then you focus on church stuff like, what kind of class are we going to do next? Or, you know, I, I really think we should, you know, have this kind of community building project within the church. And, you know, maybe we could serve in this way. And, and we get comfortable doing something like, well, that works for us. Let's do that. Let's do that year after year after year. And, and you just get in a rut. And, and we get stagnant and we don't move. Here's what it means to break that status quo. This week, get on our church directory, call another church member and say, I want to pray with you. I want to pray with you. I want us to reach our city with the gospel. We can't do it on our own. I want to pray with you and ask God to help. Will you help, Lord? Will you show us? Will you lead us? Will you bring people to us who don't know Jesus? And will you help us to be ready in those moments? That's breaking the status quo. What if that was your midweek ministry, you know? We're talking about bringing midweek stuff back, you know, so we can, I'd love to walk through a specific book with you guys. We're talking about what that looks like. What if your midweek ministry was you called a church member and you're like, hey, 
Let's set aside 10 minutes and pray together. Let's pray. When's the last time that, I'm not just throwing you guys under the bus, when's the last time that I have said, you know what, instead of having classes this semester, all we're going to do is pray. All we're going to do. Here's why that's important. Jump down to verse 12. After Jesus ascends into heaven, and they're by themselves now, just like us, right? Jesus is not walking through that door right now unless he, unless he returns. I would, you know, please, if you want, please do that if you can. Um, but if he, if he doesn't walk through those doors, we're in the same boat as those disciples. Jesus is no longer here. He has ascended into heaven. What's the first thing they do? They don't start planning. They don't start strategizing. All they do is they go into a room and they pray. They enter into this upper room, and Luke says, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, Simon, and Judas, the son of James. They gather with one accord, and they devote themselves to prayer. Mary, the women, the mother of Jesus was there. His brothers were there. And they get in a room, and they literally just pray. They pray together. Our church is not in danger of failure if the budget decreases. Okay? Our church isn't in danger of failure if we change up ministries or if we make mistakes in leadership. Like, man, I really wish we had led differently during COVID or something like that. That's not failure. Failure is abdication of this mission. Failure is not relying on the Spirit to lead us in this mission. Failure is abandoning our purpose to show Jesus to the world. Is this us? Is this you? Do we regularly share the gospel, spread the news that Jesus is king, and bring others to Jesus? Because we have everything we need. The Lord has given us everything we need. We have his word, we have his spirit, we have the gospel, we have the message, we have the mission, we have it all. So if we're not living on mission, the question is, do we have a belief problem or do we have an apathy problem? The good news is, wherever you are, wherever I am in this, Jesus will not give up on you. He died for even your disobedience to the Great Commission. He will not give up on you. And his plan to reach Tupelo has not changed. We, as a local church, we are still plan A. And we have been sent question is will we act on this conviction when and where and how will we go the church is a movement and as that one pastor said movements move here's how i want us to close um typically we just close i'll, I'll pray and then we'll have a song uh, i am going to pray a, a, a quick prayer for us but I want to encourage you to do what these disciples did after Jesus ascended. Jesus has ascended into heaven, and he has all authority on heaven and on earth, and he has sent us on mission. He has given us his gospel. We are expected to take it to those who do not know Jesus. I want to encourage you to pray, but when you pray, if, if you're able, only if you're able, don't worry if you're not, would you kneel where, where you are, where you're sitting? And just beg the Lord to pour out his spirit on us, to empower us, to lead us, to reach the city for his sake. I encourage you to pray in that way. Maybe if you know someone specifically, someone in your life who doesn't know Jesus, don't be afraid to pray that this week the Lord would lead you 
to have a conversation with them that would lead them to faith in Jesus. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to pray that we would baptize 30 people this year. Don't be afraid to to pray bold prayers like that. But let's take a moment and pray that the Lord would, would use us to advance his mission in Tupelo. Let me pray for us first, and then